Thank you for downloading this Brum Radio podcast. For more podcasts, visit brumradio.com. And now, for your listening pleasure, it's the Brum Picture Show. Brought to you by Brum Radio. Hello, and welcome to episode three of the Brum Picture Show on Brum Radio, a weekly film show covering local, independent and world cinema, brought to you by Birmingham-based community cinema collective Screen B14. So, what's coming up on today's show? Well, in celebration of the release of Napoleon, today we're going to be talking about everyone's favourite 85-year-old workaholic, the great Sir Ridley Scott. Alongside some movie news and some great tunes, we'll be discussing his oeuvre, reviewing his new opus, Napoleon, and hopefully we'll have some time to talk about many other interesting things. Now, it's a little bit quieter in the studio than usual today, as most of the members of Screen B14 are all too busy networking at Real Brum Night. But fear not, today's episode won't just be me rambling alone into the void. I am joined by my esteemed colleague and friend, a walking encyclopedia of movie knowledge and an extremely talented filmmaker in her own right. It's the one and only, the great Nadine O'Mahony. Nadine, how are you today? I'm good. I'm, I'm here. I'm happy. I'm not networking. I'm all networked out. But I am here to talk about Ridley Scott. Glad to hear it, Nadine. Thanks for thanks for joining us. Otherwise, this would have been a horrible experience for, for everyone involved, for, for me, for the listeners. So, so thanks. I've got someone to talk to. Um, you may recall, if you listened last week, that we were bemoaning the lack of emails sent to us and that we wouldn't actually mind if you just sent us some hate, as at least it would give us something to read. Well, exciting news, guys. I have been reliably informed that we have some emails. So, Nadine, what has turned up in our inbox this week? Well, I know we, we did suggest that we'd welcome an inbox full of hate, but I'm afraid to say that all we've got is an inbox full of love. Oh, for goodness sake. Yes. <sighs> and um, our first email comes from someone um, you, you may know, perhaps. Go on. Um, David Vernon? Well, well, that does happen to be my dad's name, but that would be pretty pathetic if we were resorting to reading out emails from our parents, right? Of course, that's, it can't be that same it David Vernon. must be a different one. But yeah, David's written in to say, Hi Paul, Nadine and Rory. Very much enjoyed your second show. I particularly enjoyed Nadine's reminiscences about Stella Street, which I loved watching when I returned home from the pub on a Friday night. Yeah. Hilarious performances from the late John Sessions and Phil Cornwall and directed by Peter Richardson of comic strip fame. Mm. Fun fact there, folks. I didn't know that. Sessions and Cornwall played all the characters, including Mick and Keith, Michael Caine, Michael's housekeeper, Jack Nicholson, Al Pacino and others. Great choice of songs. Keep up the good work, Dave. Oh, well, that's nice, isn't that it? That was lovely. Oh. I, I particularly enjoyed Nadine's reminiscences. I'm sure, I'm sure that's what everybody's <laughs> takeaway from episode two was. Oh, that really is a coincidence because it was indeed my dad who um, was telling me about <laughs> Stella Street. But as I say, it can't be him. Um, but yes, since 
discussing Stellar Street last week. I have been watching it, and oh my goodness, is it good. The impressions just are incredible. In particular, Al Pacino and, and Jack Nicholson. <laughs> it is just spot on to, to a degree that I've not really seen before, and it is just so wonderfully strange and anarchic and, and just great, and I just love inhabiting that world where... Where you know Mick Jagger and Keith Richards are running the corner shop and in Surbiton. Yeah, yeah. I think there's actually a film version, so maybe maybe that'll be a future podcast. Oh, um, Stella Street the movie. Oh, excellent. Because I was I was thinking, isn't it? Isn't that funny that our first email is about a, a television show? <laughs> but yeah, no, well that's that's yeah. good. Classic. We've, we've got more emails. Oh, my goodness. Well, yes. Well, thank you, Dave Vernon, whoever you whoever are, you are. For, for emailing that in. Uh, we, yeah, we, we, we agree. So we've got another email of a Chris, who I believe is from Sturchley Open Cinema. Ooh. Ooh. If you listen to the last podcast, folks, you'll know that Sturchley Open Cinema, we've got a bit of a friendly rivalry with them. They're a fellow community cinema based in Birmingham and have many screenings out of Sturchley Baths and other locations in Sturchley. So, yes, is this going to be our first hate mail? Ooh. Wow. Is it? No. All oh, right, cool. <laughs> Hey, Brom Picture Show crew, Chris here from Sturchley Open Cinema. Hello. In your last episode, I heard you say that you'd accept hate mail on the show, <laughs> but I'm only here to send love, baby. Oh. I loved listening to the latest episode of BPS and found myself nodding along and wanting to chip in with the conversation, a sign of a great show. So here's what I was shouting enthusiastically at my phone whilst listening last week. Firstly... I had no idea about the ins and outs of the Hollywood strikes, so it was really interesting to hear that the biggest stars were striking on behalf of the actors and writers who were on the up. What was also fascinating, and a bit disturbing to learn, was the AI-induced anxiety for extras. I didn't realise faces were being scanned with a view to reproducing their likeness. Yuck. Thanks for the education. Secondly... I was desperate to chip in with the noir chat. One of my favourite films in the last, I don't know how many years, is Winter's Bone. Ah. I, re I remember watching it and realising about halfway through, oh my God, this is a noir film. Like Nadine said, it's not necessarily the shadows and angles, it's more of a vibe. And I feel like Winter's Bone hits those noir vibes. What do you think? If there's anyone that hasn't seen it, I highly recommend it. I'll also be checking out your suggestions, so thanks. Lastly, I can't remember which film Nadine was referring to, but Paul, I think it was Paul, said, oh, I hate that film. <laughs> and that got me thinking about controversial takes. For example, Sturchley Open Cinema member Charis, or Charis, I'm not sure, loves Nightmare Before Christmas. I have absolutely no time for it. Not interested. Ooh. Ooh. I know it's a beloved film for lots of people and I often feel like I should like it. I just don't. Are there any films you guys dislike that you get lambasted for? Hope that's enough. Content for you. I know Rory was keen for some hate, so here goes. You're short, your belly button sticks out too far and you're a terrible burden on your poor mother. Lots of love, Chris. Oh my goodness! Well, well, thank you for that, Chris. I um, mean, apart from the bit about Rory, that was not on. Oh, that was directed directly at Rory, then. Yeah. Okay, cool. He's, I mean, I he's, not, he's, he's not that short. The rest I of mean, it stands. So that's amazing. So thank oh. you so much for that. Yeah. Do you have any hot takes, Paul? Um, well, for first of all, I believe it was Spaceballs 
was was Ooh. the was the film that I don't much care for. Yeah. So I, I guess that is my controversial take. And uh, yeah, I don't, I don't very much care for that film. Um, what else don't I really care for? Um, should have really prepared this in advance. Yeah, I think yeah. you know the. Uh, I mean, that, that is my answer. Spaceballs. Spaceballs. Don't much care for it. Nadine, any controversial takes for you? I, I, all of my takes are controversial, aren't they? No, um, it's a good question. I mean, I do remember you once saying that the Muppets Christmas Carol film was one of the greatest films of all time. I did not say that. I said it was the greatest film of all time. Thank you for the correction. <clears throat> I don't know if I can get on board with that statement. Get out. Oh, actually, I didn't I, think Great Get Out was very good either. Oh, I don't think Jordan Peele's that good. Oh, yeah, we, we, the hate mail's going to start flowing in now. I'm just being a provocateur here, um, but um, I, I did think it was overrated. It was, you know, well, everything's you know, overrated, isn't it? Yeah, it nowadays was, it owed too much to being John Malkovich, and I'd rather have just watched that film. That was my takeaway. That's fair. I mean. Paul, I have to say, you are king of the controversial things. <laughs> and I love I love the way Paul will launch into something being, well, we can all agree, and then and then it will be something incredibly divisive that none of us can agree on. Yeah. So um, that's, that's what I do enjoy, your hot takes. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I'm sure I have. I think I'm more likely to praise something that's probably not widely considered amazing. Mm. Like, well... Being on topic, I really enjoyed House of Gucci. Sorry, guys. Uh, yeah. I know that's a bit of a controversial take. I know not a lot of people seem to to raise it very highly, but I thought it was a lot of fun. I watched it twice. That's so. not a controversial take. <laughs> 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 it's a good movie. Is that Mario? <laughs> <laughs> or is it Jared Leto? Who can tell? Just quickly, though, um, Winter's Bone, yes. Very good film. Thanks, yeah. Chris. Great acting. Well, that's it's really nice that we've 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 had some emails. If you would like to join our listeners that have emailed in in becoming famous and having your name and thoughts read out on local radio, then don't hesitate to get in touch at pictureshow at brumradio.com. Now it's time to move on to the news section. So we're going to have a brief little look at the news items that have caught our eye this week. So, Nadine? Well, I have a little thing. Absolute cinematic maestro, Francis Ford Coppola. Ooh. Um, and this is Ridley Scott related, as it is the Ridley Scott episode. Splendid. Uh, says that Sir Ridley Scott should be given a dukedom for such outstanding quality output. So, Sir Ridley Scott, it's not enough that he's been knighted. He should have he, a He should be a duke. A duke, the Duke of Film. Is perhaps. dukedom how you refer to it? That's how he referred to it. And um, I'm not, I'm not I, going to argue with Francis, no. No, no, no. Oh. Um, so, yeah, uh, the Duke, we should be referred to. Duke, uh, what, duke Lord, Ridley. Lord Ridley, is that how you refer to a duke? Uh, I don't know. Please please do email in and correct us. Yeah, is, the, is a duke the same as a lord? They're different, right? Well, I think that's how you refer to a duke. So you don't call them Duke Ridley. Like when you refer to him, he'd be Lord Ridley, Duke of Scott. Right. <laughs> Lord Ridley, Duke of Cinema. Okay. All right, well, that's that's nice. That's good. Yeah. Um, Francis has got Ridley's back. He likes to pop up every now and again just to, to prop up some of his fellow 
octogenarians. <laughs> I mean, is he in his 80s? I don't know. Uh, presumably. Presumably. He's been around a while. But, you know, that that is some high praise coming from the man who competed against himself in the Oscars uh, when The Conversation and The Godfather 2 were both up for Best Picture, wow. I think, or that's, Best Director. That's bonkers to think about, isn't it? That's, I, that's, that's my gold standard. Yeah, that's yeah. where I want to be as a filmmaker, competing against myself at the Oscars and winning. You don't uh, want to split the vote. No. Uh, but, but he did win. He, he won for um, The Godfather 2. So, yeah, high praise indeed. Should we be giving Ridley Scott a dukedom? Uh, is that how you refer to it? Is a duke also a lord? Please email in yeah. if, if you've got the answers to any of these questions. I only know about film. I'm not big on royal titles, so please do educate us on that. Oh, very good. Well, well, thanks for that, Nadine. Yeah, let us know at pictureshow at brumradio.com if you can answer any of the questions that we just posited. I've also got a Ridley-based news item because let's face it Ridley's good at getting himself in the news isn't he with his wonderful little sound bites this thing that caught my eye is from Ridley Scott's recent interview with the Rolling Stone and the hot scoop is that Gladiator 2 will star and I quote a rhinoceros charging around in an arena trying to kill people oh wow if you're a Gladiator fan as I am mm. you'll know that in the original film they'd intended to have a rhinoceros sequence. So I guess now he's finally realising that vision. For some reason, they decided against it. I think the CGI wasn't quite there yet and maybe training actual live rhinoceroses um, was was a bit more tricky than using actual tigers. Yeah, I heard the rhinoceros just didn't get on with Russell Crowe, so they had to wait 20 years and... But Paul Mescal has a a notoriously good relationship with rhinoceroses, so... Well, I did not know that. I'm Mm -hmm. learning something new myself. Do you not remember After Sun, the bit with the rhinoceros? I must have uh, drifted off at that point. I I genuinely don't remember that bit. That was my favourite bit. But anyway, so, well, that's interesting. So it took them 20 years to get the the rhinoceros in. Uh, And apparently, uh, Gladiator 2, as it stands, he says it's going to be an hour and 45 minutes. Which I, 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 I'll believe that when I see it, what? surely, an hour and 45 minutes. Although he does say that's after nine weeks of filming, so I don't know whether he's suggesting that after they do some more filming, because obviously the actor's strike happened like partway through mm. production, does that mean that there's still like another two hours to, of, of the film to do? I, I don't know. I don't know what he's suggesting there. Well, um, hmm. I have to say, we all know he's, he's uh, the king of the director's cut. I think he might have even had the first ever director's cut with the Blade Runner film. If Again, correct me if I'm wrong. But yeah, um, Gladiator, he did do an extended version, but he said the theatrical version was the director's cut and I believe it was the superior version. So maybe he's telling the truth. Gladiator mm. wasn't that long, really. Well, yeah, and, and notoriously the, the Alien director's cut is shorter than the theatrical cut, isn't it? Oh, I've... If you say so, Paul. <laughs> I, do, I, I do say so. I do say so. No, it's 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 slightly it's slightly trimmed and, and tightened up. So there it does seem, go. even though he has made some very long films, like he is very conscious of uh, of of running times. And uh, I think he's been saying recently about about the the bum ache that sets in uh, mm. after in a in a three hour film. So he does try to think about it quite a lot. But nevertheless, I I cannot believe that Gladiator Two will be an hour and forty five minutes long. But there you go. So that's some stuff about Gladiator Two and Ridley Scott. Um, 
Ridley is just great in interviews, isn't he? So we've got a list of some <laughs> some things that Ridley Scott has said. And I'll admit, most of it isn't really radio-friendly, to be honest with you. But he, he does have a habit of, of, of saying some mad things in interviews, and, and we love him for it. Just a few little selections here. Uh, warning about the dangers of AI. This was apparently in an interview with Deadline. He said, we are all completely effed. We're back to candles and matches. Do you have candles and matches at home? I live in France, so I do. <laughs> That's nice. Can, um, can, can we not hear it in the accent, in the Yorkshire accent? <laughs> he, do, he doesn't sound that Yorkshire, does he? He does uh, a bit. We're all completely effed. <laughs> we're back to candles and matches. Do you have candles and matches at home? I live in France, so I do. His thoughts on whether or not... So this was an interview of the Evening Standard, which apparently drifted over into his thoughts on aliens. And he was like... How did Egyptians build pyramids? <laughs> Rolling 20 ton stones on logs. F off. So, so apparently Ridley believes in, in aliens. Alien? That's nice. I mean, he made I mean, Alien. I, sh- I should hope so. I should hope so. <laughs> alien was, in fact, a documentary to him. Uh, as was Prometheus and all that. What else did he say? <laughs> oh, yes, of course. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, oh, no, this is a good one. So this was uh, a few years ago, I believe, um, possibly on the the House of Gucci press tour when he was talking to Deadline again. This was on the subject of superheroes. <laughs> Best films are driven by characters. <laughs> and we'll come to superheroes after this if you want because I'll crush it. I'll effing crush it. <laughs> they're, they're effing boring as s. So <laughs> They're effing boring as s. <laughs> their scripts aren't any effing good. I think I'd have done three great scripted superhero movies. One would be Alien, Sigourney Weaver. One would be Effing Gladiator. And one would be Blade Runner. They're superhero movies. So why don't the superhero movies have better stories? Sorry, I got off the rail, but come on. They're mostly saved by special effects, and that's becoming boring for everyone who works with special effects if you got the money. All right. <laughs> and then, finally, just just one more. This was when he was talking to Mark Maron um, about uh, The Last Duel and why it wasn't very successful, and he blamed it on the young people. I think what it boils down to, what we've got today, are the audiences who are brought up on these effing cell phones. The millennium who don't ever need to be taught anything unless you tell it on cell phone. So that's Ridley Scott. To be fair... <laughs> It was it, it was as if Sir Ridley had walked into the studio, folks. I was I, I my eyes and my ears were telling me two different things. I couldn't yeah. couldn't compute. Um, uh, but yeah, uh, amazing. I mean, to be fair, I am on my phone quietly. Yes. <laughs> so I, I think he's got that. me there. Yeah, I don't think Ridley would like us. Oh no! Don't say Imagine. that. Imagine. Oh don't my say goodness. Say that, Paul. I know. No, he'd probably think we're great. <laughs> He's listening right now. Ridley, if well, you like us, can you email us, please? Picture show at bramradio.com. We're going to say nice things about your film, maybe. Maybe. Uh, maybe. maybe. We'll find out later in the show what yeah. Nadine and I think about Napoleon. But for now, uh, let's move on to our main feature, which is more Ridley Scott. <laughs> <laughs> if you think you didn't have enough of him, it is the Ridley Scott show. Yeah, yeah. It's this the is Ridley a, Scott show today. Sorry, guys. Yeah, that's, you're just going to have to deal with that. You are listening to the Brum Picture Show on Brum Radio, and we are talking about Ridley Scott today. Ooh. Now, luckily, in the studio today, 
we have a Ridley Scott superfan, Nadine. And now we're going to have a general discussion of his oeuvre. And then we are going to pick a film each from his filmography and discuss that in some detail. And now Nadine is going to talk for about four to six hours <laughs> about Ridley Scott and how much she loves him. So, so Nadine, introduce us to Ridley Scott. Only four to six hours. Yeah. I, I probably could go on uh, all night. I just, look, we all know that hero worshipping is wrong these days because we see so many news stories that, you know, people that we think are really cool are, you know, murdering kittens or something in their in their private life. So I don't want to... This isn't about... <laughs> I, I love Ridley's work. I love his work ethic and I've learnt so much from him. I don't know him as a person. And and he does say some controversial things sometimes. I think I put it down to him being a blunt Yorkshireman. He's probably not everybody's cup of tea, but what you have to respect is what he's achieved over his career, the work that he's done, um, unless you're an Oscar voter, because Sir Ridley has not won an Oscar yet. Been nominated four times, not won an Oscar, has a BAFTA. Make of that what you will. <laughs> But as I said, he's a Yorkshireman, he's from South Shields, brother of Tony Scott. If you're a Top Gun fan, uh, his brother Tony directed that. And he actually got his brother into filmmaking. So Ridley was always a bit of an artist, went to art school, went to the Royal College of Art, Mm. very posh. He found a Bolex camera in a cupboard, apparently, and said, can I borrow this for the summer holidays? Roped his brother in. He was younger than him, Tony. I said, get on your bike, Tony. (laughs) And uh, filmed his first short film, which I think was Boy on a Bicycle, starring Tony Scott in the lead role as the boy. Or, or The Bicycle. I haven't actually seen it. I assume he was the boy. Um, but interestingly, if it sounds a little bit like the Hovis advert, the classic Hovis advert with the boy on the bicycle going up the hill, you'd be right because Ridley Scott directed that. <gasps> Ridley Scott worked in advertising for many, many years. Some of the best known, most iconic adverts were made by him. So I think the, the flake advert with the woman in the bath and the water's overflowing while she's enjoying her flake. Not that iconic for you, Paul. I have no memory of that you whatsoever. Are a little bit, maybe you're a bit too young, uh, but I'm sure... I'm only uh, four years younger than you. I, all right, if that's not iconic enough for you, what about the Apple advert? You know, the weird one that didn't make any sense that everyone's like, what the heck is going on here? That's, that's the one that is parodied in in Futurama, in a Futurama episode, yeah. right? And it's the, yeah. big, the big screen and it's all grey and they got the big, you know, big exactly. crowd of, of drone workers or whatever. That was a Ridley Scott production. Oh. Um, so that... He did thousands of hours of of work on commercials and was a camera operator as well, a point of pride for him, something he mentions a lot in interviews. In fact, he did camera work on Alien, he did camera work on many of his films until he got to America and they told him to back off (laughs) because they like that. So that's how he came up. And he didn't actually direct his first film, The Duelist, until he was 38. So, you know... Well, not a spring chicken, but he's he's made up for it since because he's still going and he's, what, how old? 85? Mm. So making up for last time. I mean, he did two... T- during the pandemic, he did two films. I, You know what I did during the pandemic? 
lie around on my sofa experiencing a lot of existential dread. <laughs> I certainly didn't direct <laughs> I certainly didn't direct anything. But you know, you've got to admire that at the very least. So yeah, came up through advertising, did the jewelist. Studio didn't really know what to do with the jewelist. It was a period piece. It was a bit out of fashion at the time. Uh, apparently they only made seven prints of it. Ridley was like, is that normal? And he was told, no, they don't like the film. But after that, all-time classic sci-fi horror, Alien, very influenced by Star Wars. Apparently he'd seen Star Wars and he thought, ooh, I like that. I want to do something a bit like that. Originally, it wasn't written for a woman, um, but at some point I think they thought, ooh, Let's uh, let's let's put a woman in this and see what happens. And now we've got one of the most iconic female characters in cinematic history, Ripley, played by Sigourney Weaver. And that's something that I really, really enjoy about Ridley's films. As we said, he's a little bit older. He's not quite, you know, on it with the the millennials and the and the phones and stuff. But one thing that he has really championed in his films is women. Okay, some of his films might fall into Smurfette territory, which is, you know, one woman surrounded by a bunch of men. And they may not always pass the Vectal test, if that's how you pronounce it. Vect- Would you like to explain what that is to the Oh, gosh, do, the I have, do I have time? Well, yeah. it's, a, it's, a, it's a test to see how feminist a film is, and it, it's some very, very basic criteria, and it's quite shocking how many films fail it. So it's, it's things like, you know... Is there more than one woman? Do they have a conversation? Is it about something other than a man? And uh, unfortunately, most films do not pass that test. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of Ridley Scott's films may not pass that test as well. But I have to say, this is the director that gave us Thelma and Louise and G.I. Jane. I think, you know, he's an honorary uh, woman in my, in my <laughs> eyes. <laughs> so I have to really applaud him for that. I think he just, he's like, yeah, why can't women be in action films? Like, you know, in that very, if you can imagine that very blunt, straightforward way of his. He wanted to produce Thelma and Louise originally and had was shopping it around. I think he wanted to, um, he, he wasn't planning on directing. And he said a lot of the feedback he got was, oh, it's two women. And he was like, that's the point, dude. <laughs> Can you imagine uh, if, if he'd be like, oh, should we make one of them a man? <laughs> Thelma and Louis. Yeah, yeah, not not quite the same, is it? Um, so he stuck to his guns there. And apparently he approached Michelle Pfeiffer and it was on her suggestion that he direct the film. She was too busy, but she loved the script. And she said, why don't you do it? And he thought, yeah, you're right. Why don't I? I mean, what else is there to say? I mean, he's transitioned from, as I said, you know, period. He's done sci-fi, king of sci-fi, with not just Alien, but as you said, Blade Runner and all the various iterations of that, uh, of Alien. And then, well, he didn't direct them all. Forget that. Scrap that. <laughs> apparently, apparently, he was livid that he wasn't asked back to do Aliens. And and all those people out there who say, oh, Aliens is better than Alien. No, it's not. What are you talking about? You're wrong. Shut up. Exactly. I just... <laughs> a- Alien was a horror movie. Mm-hmm. Aliens is just a big, dumb action film. Yeah. So if you don't agree with that hot take, you know what to do. You can email us. Um, but yeah. So, you know, King of Sci-Fi. He's done comedy. He's done everything. He's done drama. He's done, he hasn't done a musical yet, I don't think, but I'm sure it's on the cards. Um, he's done feminist films. He's done 
war movies. He's done epics. He's in his epic phase now, I think, and it seems to mm. suit him. But but anything where he gets to build a world, mm-hmm. I think um, that's that's his strong suit. So, and what I like most about him, why do I like him? Well, his films are beautiful. They've got great actors in. I love his um, range. But what I also love, he's got a filmmaking philosophy and I have to say he's been one of the most influential directors on my own filmmaking. Not in terms of style. I don't know that you could look at one of my films and hold them up to one of Ridley's and go, oh, I can see the influence there. But it's more how he approaches filmmaking. And I I boil that philosophy down to, if it rains, shoot in the rain. Hmm. That's Ridley Scott's philosophy. So, you know, some filmmakers would wait until the weather's perfect. You know, you're paying a crew, you're paying actors every day, waiting for that, you know, sunshine to break out. Ridley would be like, F it. Let's get out there and shoot something. And that thing that he shoots might be ten times better. That is actually something that happened to me on my last short film. It did rain. It wasn't in the script to rain. We moved things around because we were worried about continuity. So as the film all took place in one day, we had to we had to shoot the rainy scene as the last scene because it just wouldn't have made sense otherwise. I'm so glad we did. I'm so glad we didn't wait for it to be dry because it adds so much to that scene. It's such an emotional scene. It's just, it's such a sad scene and it just looks great. You might have noticed this, listeners, but quite often in films, the ground is wet, but it's not raining. That's just because it looks cool to have like a shiny wet floor. And in most of those cases, that has been done purposefully by the crew. Someone's just gone around with some water and hose Mm. down. It's called a wet down. Um, And it just looks really cool and the lights shine off it and it's and it's just reflective and and nice. And and we had the best wet down ever um, because we shot in the rain Mm. Um, and there was a neon red light in the background and it spilled across the floor. And it was great because red was part of our colour scheme. So, yeah, things go wrong. He says you've got to embrace stress. This is another part of the Zen of Ridley. He takes it in his stride. You know, during Legend, uh, the whole set burnt down. Oh, that's quite a stressful thing to happen on a set. Nobody was hurt, as far as I'm aware, but, you know, that would set you back. It's expensive, it's stressful. One of the producers was looking for Ridley. Where's Ridley? What's Ridley doing? Oh, he's gone to play tennis. And you know what? And the guy says, you know what? The producer said, that was the exact right thing to do. What else can you do? Go and play a game of tennis. (laughs) That's that's how he unwound in those days. With Tom Cruise. Yes, legend with Tom Cruise. Not not with Tom Hardy. Um, And there was another fire on Kingdom of Heaven. It's getting a bit bit suspicious now. Um, (laughs) (laughs) He just really just wants to go and play tennis. He just keeps setting his sets on fire. But but on this occasion, it was one of the the war machines, uh, the siege towers or something caught fire. Again, I don't believe anyone was harmed. But Ridley decided to film it. Because he mm. thought, that looks quite cool. Why don't we film it? And he filmed it, and it's in the finished film. Wow. So, I, you know, I have to applaud him for, for rolling with it. A lesser filmmaker would, would be cowering in their Winnebago, crying every yeah. time something caught on fire. But, you know, that's not, <laughs> that's not really the philosophy. <laughs> Surely really the, like, where's my camera? Where's yeah. my camera? Surely all the insurance people weren't very happy about that. 
I mean, I don't want to say these things happen because absolutely they shouldn't happen. You shouldn't be having fires on set. No. But, you know, with, a, with a career as, as lengthy as, as Ridley's, mm. you know, things, you know, electronics, mm. things happen. I just admire that he didn't get too upset about it and just sort of, you know, the old keep calm and carry on. Yeah. Well, good for Ridley. He's certainly got quite the work ethic and I think he's he's definitely one of those filmmakers that, as you say maybe that is because he started he started late he just seems incredibly keen to just make as many films as quickly quickly as possible and I I respect that very much but also in a way though his career kind of reminds me a little bit of Clint Eastwood's in mm. that he's just he's so prolific and he's so he's made so many films that you kind of forget that he has made um, a lot of let's say not so great films in there as well. well in a, I, I know, I know, but you know, Body of Lies and things like that. You, okay, you, you I have seen that one. Okay, you've got to admit they're not, they're not exactly up there. And it I'm does, sure I'd love it. I, I do, yeah, maybe. But I, I do feel like, because he's, he's definitely, he's so very much about the visual that I feel sometimes maybe some of his films could have done with another pass on the, on the script. Uh, but he's just like, no, that'll do. Let's just get shooting now. That's it. Oh, no, 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 that's done. The film's lined <laughs> up. No, no, no. Just give me that. Give me that. That'll, that'll, that's fine. That'll do, yeah. That'll do me. Um, so, <laughs> so, <and that's, laughs> but, but the thing is, his his masterpieces are, are such such amazing masterpieces that you just they kind of cancel out all the other exactly. all the other kind of maybe not so amazing films. And I I do think that is very similar to Clint Eastwood in the I mean, in you. As a filmmaker, you're lucky if you've got a Blade Runner. You're mm -hmm. lucky if you've got an Alien or a Gladiator mm -hmm. or, you know, any number. Or a Thelma and Louise. He's got all of them yeah, and more. Exactly. So I think, you know, you've got to give him a pass sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. No, he's, it, is, it is astonishing. But yeah, good, good on you, Ridley Scott. You are listening to The Brum Picture Show on Brum Radio, and we have been talking all things Ridley Scott. We've had a nice little introduction to his career, but now we're going to pick a film each and talk about it in some detail. Now, I've gone for this one, not necessarily because it is my favourite Ridley Scott film, because, I mean, hmm, what is my favourite? That's a hard one. It's probably okay. The Martian. Really? <laughs> no, I, I I do really love The Martian, but but obviously it's not it's not Alien or Blade Runner, is it? But I I'm very fond of it, and I'd like to add I'm very fond of Prometheus as well, which I think is mm. wrongly maligned, and I think it would have been far more successful had it just not had anything to do with Alien. I think, I think. it's being reevaluated. Mm. I think people have started to come at it differently now. I've heard a few people. I think when Alien Covenant came out, people were like, oh, remember Prometheus? Yeah, that's the thing. <laughs> Alien, wasn't that good? <laughs> Alien Covenant was... Because, again, there was so much I really liked about Alien Covenant, but then it just ruined it by trying to trying to be alien again at the end. There was just well, too what much... what do you want, I, people? <laughs> exactly. You don't like Prometheus. You yep. want Alien again. He gives you Alien again. You don't like yep. it. So Come on. There's no pleasing some people exactly. but yeah i'm kind of sad that he didn't get to carry on his um his whole alien opus thing or that world or the the prometheus universe anyway i just would have i would have liked for that to be a separate mythology and then him just to explore that for a while because i do get people's uh, reservations that it does kind of ruin the original alien films a bit it does kind of ruin the mystery a bit it's just like oh it's just michael fassbender tinkering around in space again i'm gonna make some aliens now so. is that what it yeah. Spoiler. Oh, sorry. 
But I am going to talk about Black Rain because that is a film I watched recently and I'll be honest, I didn't really know it existed until I was scrolling through um, Amazon or something and I was like, oh, what's that? Oh, Michael Douglas. Oh, Andy Garcia. Oh, Ridley Scott. Oh, 1989. Neon. Good stuff. So I gave it a go. And it is quite an interesting film. So it focuses on two NYPD detectives and they arrest a member of the Yakuza and they must escort him back to Japan. And then uh, it goes from there. So it is a kind of neon noir film. But what's interesting about it, so they shot it in, in Japan. Well, mostly in Japan. So it does, mm. aesthetically, it is quite similar to, to Blade Runner in it. It's all lots of very nice neon lights and, and you know, r- lots of rain. It's all very visually pleasing. But what I wasn't expecting from the film is just quite how silly it is. Like, it is what? quite... Yeah, it's like, I'm going to say it's a buddy cop film, but it, <laughs> it certainly flirts with that. And this makes a lot of sense, actually, its silliness, because apparently it was originally supposed to be directed by Paul Verhoeven, did you know that? Paul Verhoeven? But yeah, Verhoeven. Okay, I'll, I'll take it. that as your correct yeah. pronunciation. <laughs> that's, that's yeah, I think that's it. But, I wouldn't know. Yeah, but uh, anyway, apparently he was originally supposed to be directing it, and then he went off to go and make Total Recall instead, <gasps> which... Oh, it's one of my all-time favourite films. Yeah, so I thought you'd enjoy that factoid. Again, that kind of explains the, the, the tone of it a bit, is I can completely see the version of it that would be made by him. It's just a lot of fun, and, you know, it's aesthetically gorgeous and the, the music, it's got this first collaboration with Hans Zimmer, and of course they went on to do many things together, including oh, Gladiator, Gladiator soundtrack and all that kind of, of stuff. One of the greatest of exactly. all time. So, you know, that was the beginning of that beautiful friendship and, and relationship, and it's just one that I thought I'd mention because because it doesn't really, I don't know, I don't really hear people talking about it very often, and it's a film that exists, it's got some good actors in, it looks is that, nice. Is that the, the highest praise <laughs> you can give it? It's, it's a, a film, film that, that exists. exists. <laughs> if you like films... I'm sold! <laughs> if you like films that exist, then it is one for you, definitely. But no, it's just one that I thought I'd mention because it is not, you know, it's not It's not one it's that people talk about. It's a little bit more about. obscure. Yeah, a little bit more obscure, um, but it's also just very enjoyable. Um, but yeah, but I totally it's... get what you mean with the Blade Runner thing because mm-hmm. there's lots of... Because Blade Runner was very influenced by Japan in mm. any stage or in general. And so maybe it's kind of, yeah, flirting with that. You can see the sort of progression there, can't you, mm-hmm. um, into into that world. Indeed. So they filmed uh, a lot of it in, in Japan, but apparently the experience of filming over there made Ridley, Ridley Scott vow never to film there again because there was so much red tape with the filming it that it just became a nightmare. But and eventually uh, Scott had to finish filming in California because it, it was just too much hassle. But um, I'm sure they Look had a nice gorgeous. time. Exactly. Look gorgeous. Yeah. At the very least, what you can say about Ridley Scott films is they look gorgeous. I contend that Gladiator is an art house movie. It's so mm. beautifully shot and there's so many just weird visual uh, ideas in there that you wouldn't get in a normal studio film. So I, I love I love his idiosyncrasies. Mm-hmm. 
Absolutely. Well, you say Gladiator was an art house film, but I put it to you that far more of a, an art house film would have been Nick Cave's version of Gladiator 2, which, oh my goodness. Nick like, Cave, if the that, musician. Nick Cave, the musician, the legend, the legendary Nick Cave, who, of course, is related to the, his, you know, he's in the filmmaking world as well because he wrote The Proposition, um, the John Hilkett. John Hillcoat film. Did you not know? That? No. Yeah, no. That. He wrote the proposition. He also wrote Lawless as well, which Ooh. was um, which was uh, also a John Hillcoat film, I believe. So it's not completely it's not completely, completely random. Uh, random that it was just like oh let's get Nick let's get Nick, let's get Nick Cave <laughs> to write Gladiator sequel. So, but yeah, he has written films. So apparently, Nick Cave was asked to write a Gladiator sequel, and what he wrote just sounds like it would have been the most bonkers and glorious Bonnies. thing, and it would have been beyond art house, frankly. So apparently, Nick Cave's Gladiator sequel would have followed uh, Maximus Decimus Meridius from father the- to a murdered son, <laughs> husband to a murdered wife, and I shall have my vengeance. Ooh. Uh, my name is Maximus Decimus Meridius, commander of the armies of the North. Loyal servant to the true emperor, Marcus Aurelius. Father to a murdered son, husband to a murdered wife. And I will have my vengeance in this life or the next. It was as if Russell Crowe <laughs> That was good. Oh, yeah, so apparently, apparently the sequel would have followed Maximus in the afterlife, hanging out with a load of gods and whatnot, and then it eventually builds up to a series of events that leads him being cursed to live forever, and the film would have followed him through various conflicts in history, such as the Crusades, World War II, and the Vietnam War, before eventually finding Maximus Decimus Meridius working at the Pentagon in modern-day America. What? Exactly. And I quote, uh, this is from Collider, um, continuing his eternal struggle against mankind's most depraved of emotions while still contending with his inability to reunite with his deceased family. Oh. Roll credits. And it, that just sounds amazing. But apparently um, Russell Crowe's uh, response <laughs> to this script was, well, I like it, mate. <laughs> and that was it. That was it. <laughs> but, but, and it was dead. That was it. That was it. it. But no, apparently Ridley did say um, it worked very well. <laughs> but then he just he just scrapped the whole the whole plan and then <laughs> so, I, I and for now. one I'm kind of glad he did because mm-hmm. I think it would have totally undone that whole the whole poignancy of of Maximus's death at the end of mm. the first Gladiator. Do you know they just brought him back to life in the next one? Well, you know, but you know it sounds bunkers. Exactly. Um, but I I think I'm looking forward to this version of Gladiator. The rhinoceros version. Yes. Exactly. Um, well, with maybe, Paul Mescal. Maybe it winds up with a rhinoceros working at the Pentagon. You don't know. Maybe this is going to be just know. as bonkers. Maybe it's going to be that script just with Paul Mescal in it. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? That's, what, that's exactly what oh, I'm that saying. That would be not as good. <laughs> but I'm a bit... Barry Keane was supposed to be in Gladiator 2 and he's not now. Oh, yeah. Why was it? I don't know. Scheduling. Uh, Boring. uh, But he will be, we will be mentioning him a little bit uh later because we've both seen Saltburn. Uh Um, But, yeah, just little little factoid there. There you go. So that's uh, that's my favourite Ridley Scott film is the Gladiator sequel that doesn't exist. Oh, okay. <laughs> a so, film he didn't direct, basically. So, yeah, so it's two choices. Black Rain, a film that does exist, <laughs> and then Gladiator 2, which does not. Fair enough. So, Nadine, um, what's your pick? Um, well, mine is also a film that actually exists. Woo! It's not just one of my favourite Scott 
films. It is one of my favourite all-time films. With a caveat, with an asterisk, the director's cut, of course. King of the director's cut, um, Sir Ridley Scott. Um, but yeah, I'm going to be talking about Kingdom of Heaven. If you have seen the theatrical version and you're like, what are you talking about? Well, that was rubbish. <coughs> Shut up. <laughs> Go home. Get your hands on a copy of the extended director's cut. Watch that and then you're entitled to an opinion because it's a completely different film. I went to see the film at the cinema and I thought, and I was, I wanted to see Gladiator 2. I wanted to see something epic and brilliant and, and just sort of art house and mind bending. And I was a little di- disappointed. So I wasn't a huge fan of Orlando. I, did, I thought his character didn't quite make sense. There were a lot of things that just didn't add up. Wasn't that impressed. I completely reevaluated that once I saw the director's cut. All the things that didn't make sense made sense because there was backstory and there was other, you know, scenes that were cut. There was lots of Michael Sheen. There's a different relationship that he and Michael Sheen have or a deeper relationship in the extended version. I felt Orlando's performance was better because it had all this extra context that wasn't in the original. And there's the person who was most sort of shafted by this editing was Eva Green, who who had a whole storyline that was just erased from the film. And, you know, Ridley Scott has lots of fantastic female characters in his films. This was another one of those. Unfortunately, the studio didn't see it that way. And, of course, her storyline gets cut. And it really does damage the film. They wanted to, to concentrate on Balian's arc, on the hero's arc, and, and pretty much all of her best stuff was cut out and it just completely changes the film. And it's just such a beautiful film. So, yes, it's it's an epic, it's an epic film. It deserves an epic runtime. And I just, it's so lavish, it's so beautiful, it's so exquisite. And the acting is is amazing. Some of my favourite actors, Jeremy Irons is in Kingdom of Heaven, David Thewlis, top, top names, Brendan Gleeson, Edward Norton, Michael Sheen, Liam Neeson, for goodness sake, Rassan Massoud as Saladin, Alexander Siddig, you know, just amazing, amazing cast and really giving some, some top-notch performances I'm not a fan of Edward Norton, to be fair, but he is in a mask for most of the film, so so I can, <laughs> so so I, I tolerate him in this, and he does a good he does a good sort of uh, transatlantic accent. He's a great um, actor. I just think he sounds like a nightmare yeah, to work I just, with. Yeah, I just I think I just don't like him on a personal level. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know him, but I just don't <laughs> like him. That's my hot take. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but tolerable in this does quite well, and yeah, it's just the the attention to detail they spent. I believe a quarter of a million pounds, or could be more, on flags, oh, on God. flags, and they were made of silk, because they decided that it that it was more authentic, and it was was it would have been a false economy to go for something cheaper. Wow! Um, in the desert, so yeah, it's it's that level of spectacle, and it's a very deep film. It's a beautiful script. Same script writer who wrote The Departed. William Monaghan, lovely Irish name there. Maybe not the most historically accurate film, but, you know, get a life, says Ridley. That's right. <laughs> to, to the naysayers. Were you there? Um, but they did the research. So so the things that they, they the differences they made, they knew they were making them. It wasn't out of ignorance. 
Um, but yeah, I just I've got a lot of time for that film. Beautiful score, exquisite to look at, quite philosophical, quite deep. You know, deals with some important issues. Some great actors in it. Some great performances in it. Brilliant, you know, action shot amazingly. You can't, you know, fault him for that. And just yeah, just a, a wonderful sort of vibe. Just that the the sort of beautiful desert and the and the and the silk sort of robes and the and the beautiful score and it's just yeah I love it I think it's a great film oh, good stuff I must admit that is one of his filmography that has, that has slipped me by um I'm going but, to force you to watch it. Yeah, there's a, no forcing will be required. Please don't watch the theatrical cut first unless you're intending to watch the far superior director's cut afterwards. Why not do them both back to back? Have a lovely little <laughs> Kingdom of Heaven <laughs> double film. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Oh, lovely. Well, it's probably time to be moving on now. But that was our deep dive into Ridley Scott. And coming up, we've got more Ridley Scott <laughs> because it's Ridley Day. Ridley so. Scott Day, woo! Right here on the Brum Picture Show on Brum Radio, we are about to review Napoleon. Dun dun dun! dun. Much anticipated this. I was a big fan of Gladiator. It's one of, again, one of my favourite films. Mm-hmm. Massive fan of Joaquin Phoenix. So to have them team up again for mm-hmm. the first time since Gladiator in an epic film yeah. about Napoleon, yeah. I, I was, you know, highly anticipating this. It's exciting stuff. And I must say, it is Joaquin's performance that, that makes this film for me. Because I believe... Joaquin was trying to get out of it. He was like, Ridley, oh, I'm not good enough. But... He always does that. He oh, did yeah. that in Gladiator. He's oh, okay. very insecure, according to Ridley. Oh, um, but yeah, he was like, why me? I why? can't do this. I can't do it. Well, you know, Joaquin, have some faith in yourself, mate. You're, you're quite good. You're quite a good actor. You're all right. You're all right. Um, you're, you're all right. <laughs> but, yeah, I really do love him in this film because there's bits in this where he plays it like... He plays Napoleon as as a vulnerable, small, young boy. And I love that because there's these little bits that... There's this, one of the opening scenes, he's he's looking genuinely scared as, as he's about to go into this, uh, go, go into this mm. attack on a fort. And then there's another bit which is just uh, where he's running away from a revolting mob and it is just out of his performance in Bo is Afraid with this kind of like farcical just kind of, uh, I'm, I'm miming here, but he's just like, this wide-eyed expression of just like, well, what's going on kind of thing. And it, it is falls, kind of... It falls down the stairs, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's so, it's so comic in that. And it's just like, there's all these wonderful little touches in there and just like wonderful little little line readings and it's one of my one of my favorite line line readings of the year is you think you're so great because you have boats <laughs> and then he just storms out one of great. the criticisms of this film is that it's unintentionally funny and i completely I, refuse refute that yeah i think it's intentionally it's very funny very intentionally funny very much so and and ridley was in an interview recently and he was saying oh thank goodness you found it funny it's supposed to be yeah fair enough if it's not your humor mm-hmm. fair enough if you you know, think that Napoleon should be dealt with in a more sort of, you know, refined manner. Yeah. Um, but it it is intentional. Yeah, like, yeah. don't don't misunderstand that. Yeah, exactly. Like, it is quite you know, it's quite farcical in bits. And there's a, especially the scenes with there's some there's some um, 
steamy scenes, let's Ooh. say, that are just hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, just like, there's some oinking? Yeah, oinking, yes, yes, yeah. And there's, um, so it's um, Vanessa, Vanessa Kirby is uh, plays Josephine and she is just wonderful. And there's the way their relationship plays out is just, is just <laughs> so. So, yeah, it's a bit insane. What I love, actually, is that I've listened to interviews with Joaquin and Vanessa and Ridley and they've all come out saying, we don't understand these people. <laughs> like, they're so weird. This relationship is so weird. It is really odd. But, you know, do you have to understand somebody to make a film about them? You know, many people would say yes, perhaps. Mm -hmm. But that's if you think, I think a lot of people are going into this one in a film that's got a message, that's got a very strong take on Napoleon. I think Ridley is exploring something. I don't think he's got those answers for you mm -hmm. necessarily. What I do think he is exploring in this film and what he does do well is this idea of, of the toll of war mm -hmm. and, you know, not just seeing him as this great, you know, leader who achieved all these things. I think he got in trouble because he compared him to Hitler at some point and he sort of, you know, backpedaled on that a little bit. Mm. But whatever reforms he made, whatever sort of high regard he's held in, many, many people died because of him and his wars. You know, many innocent people, many soldiers, many civilians. And that is something, I wouldn't say it's the main thrust of the film, but we definitely see those moments. Some uh, unarmed protesters at one point get attacked mm -hmm. and, and you see a woman uh, with, with missing limbs and mm. it's very shocking and it's not the kind of thing you normally see in this kind of film. No. Um, and know, there, is, there is a title card as well. At near the, the end, near the end, yeah, that, that just, really just, brings it home. Yeah, that just lists the number of people that have died in in the in the battles that Napoleon was yeah, was, in, was involved with. There's a wonderful moment with a, a soldier sort of uh, holding. A, he's he's from the enemy side, and he's 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 the flag bearer, and he's he's racing across this this icy a lake and you really you're rooting for him he gives mm. faces to these people that don't normally have faces mm. in films uh, a lot like Sam Raimi likes to do that but you know you see the consequences of this action they're not just these big spectacle CGI toy soldiers getting blown up they're mm. real people they've got feelings they've got they've got inner worlds and 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 you you want them to live and you don't want them to 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 die and Mm. That's something that he does really well in this film, and I, you know, I applaud him for that. Yeah, certainly, I very much enjoyed this film, but I, I, uh, I did have some problems in it, and I, I think, I think one of the main problems for me, and I think this is a problem that I have with a lot of biopics, is that it just tries to fit in far too much. I mean, it's not like it starts with Napoleon's childhood or anything, mm. but it does kind of follow a great deal of his military career to the extent that it. It, at times, it feels both rushed and incredibly long. Like it's mm -hmm. it's quite an odd one because it's it just it's just like oh Napoleon did this and then he did this and then oh here he is in Egypt and now we're going on to something else and it's it's there were some moments Packing that it, uh, in. it really packed it in and there were some moments that I would have enjoyed it if it had just kind of let certain moments grieve a little bit more and just kind of slowed down because I I think obviously the central focus is the relationship between him and Josephine. And I, I, I apparently in the director's cut, there is a longer cut that will focus more on Josephine and their relationship because is, that is the most fascinating part of the story in that they have such an unusual relationship. It focuses on that and then it just kind of... I, I feel like the end of her story isn't really given 
the weight it deserves. Her side of the tail peters out. out a little bit, and I would have enjoyed it if if it had narrowed its focus a little bit more and just kind of explored this really really bizarre relationship that they have because that is that, that's what that's the, heart the heart of the, of the that's film the heart is. of the film is. But in trying to do so much about uh, you know the, about his whole life and all the different stages of his you know his political career like it's uh, yeah i think it does it does lose something cuz in a way yeah their their courtship seems a little bit rushed and i do feel that you know the 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 flips in the balance of power between them that's like that's really that's some really interesting stuff this really toxic yet passionate relationship and the fact that their relationship is it seems to be like this tug of war between the the emotional and the and the political because it's like they have an incredibly politicized relationship and the whole point of their relationship is the their whole relationship is hanging on whether or not napoleon's going to get an heir and then essentially you know napoleon loves her but equally he wants he's got it. His he, duty. Yeah, he's got his duty to his country. Needs an heir, so it's just like it's, yeah, they're, they're, it's really fascinating how 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 their relationship plays out in that way. It might surprise you, Paul, as you've set me up as this, you know, Ridley Scott super fan. Mm. I was a little underwhelmed by the film, mm-hmm. and one thing actually I didn't like, and this is one of his strengths, was the visual quality of it. It's very mm. murky. It's got that very greyish look that a lot of films have these days. Mm. I think, you know, he was doing it on purpose. It had this, but it wasn't the kind of Ridley Scott that I knew from Kingdom of Heaven and some of his others, you know, beautiful, exquisite sort of exquisitely photographed films. So I wasn't as into the look of the film. But also, I agree, I wanted to spend more time with those characters. But as you say, there's a director's cut coming. And I was a bit like, oh, well, is it going to be that much better? And then I heard Vanessa Kirby talking about one of the deleted scenes and I was like, no, no, this is mm. going to be good. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to reserve judgment. I'm going to reserve my final judgment until I've seen the director's cut. It's a bit of a shame that his theatrical films are now playing more like trailers <laughs> yes. for the actual <laughs> yeah. better for version. Um, and I, I don't currently have the streaming service that it'll be on, but mm. I might have to get a free trial or something because... It is one that I'm going to want to watch. I love Joaquin. You know, I've got a lot of time for Ridley. I think Vanessa Kirby was excellent in this film and I want to see more of her. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what we're going to get in the director's court. So I look forward to that. But it does seem like it's a bit of a kingdom of heaven too Mm. in that the woman who has the most interesting Mm storyline gets cut out of the film at, you know, the behest of a shorter runtime. So I think that is a shame. I did really enjoy it. I just... Yeah, would have enjoyed a different version of it, really. And there's, <laughs> I really enjoyed yeah. it. I would have enjoyed a the different version. version. Well, you come to the right director for that, Paul. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Enjoyed it, but could have enjoyed it more. Yeah. I've got four more versions for you. There we go. It'll keep tinkering, bless him. Um, and also, just just one quick thing. Accents, man. Like, <laughs> problematic again. Because I know he's done this whole thing with... With the actors, are, you know, and he's done this a lot. The actors just speak in their own accents, mm. kind of thing. And I'm, I'm fine with that to an extent. In that, of course, they're not going to re- let him make a film that's entirely in French, are mm. they? That's just not going to be a box office hit. However, what does bring me out of the film is the fact that all of the British people in it are very British. <laughs> they're either very, you know, very posh or very. Or very Cockney. It's like there's this bit when it's like the Brits up on top of the fort, and they're like, "Oi, you get that goat out of here!" And it just—if you're going to let people speak in their own accents, then 
surely some of the British people should have American accents oh, if, if we're doing that. that. But no, well, yeah, but I don't know. It just that, makes that's you... That's confusing. I uh, think it's a bit a lower low, isn't it? That's what yeah. you want. Yeah. Everybody's got a different accent and a different accent means a different language. Yeah, I don't know. Like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure how you would gracefully deal with it because it's, I don't well, know, cinema has often struggled with this and it's, I think one of the most graceful ways was, is it Hunt for Red October or is it Crimson Tide where it starts and they're speaking in Russian and then it zooms in on their mouths and then it just changes to English oh, and I it's don't just like, like you don't like <laughs> Pick a lane, come on. <laughs> Fine, well, I thought that was quite an inventive way of going about it. Yeah, um, just choose, man. All right, fair enough. One thing I will say is we get, uh, we get to see some absolutely excellent British actors in it. Mm -hmm. And what a surprise it was to see Kevin Eldon. The actor Kevin Eldon. Who I always think of as Boyle from Packing a Mean. Mm. Please, another obscure comedy gem. If, you've, if you're uh, related to Paul <laughs> and, you've, <laughs> and you're listening and you've seen Packing a Mean uh, with Jenny Eclair and, mm. um, you know, famous Frank Skinner of Birmingham... Please, please email us and tell us your, that you remember it because I've never met anyone else who's seen it and I watched it a lot. Yeah, Rupert Everett is in it. I love, love a bit of Rupert. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, and some, yeah, just, again, great cast. Uh, not my favourite Ridley Scott film, but I'm reserving mm. judgment for the director's cut. Okay. So that's what we thought of Napoleon in a, in a nutshell. <laughs> Have you been watching anything else, Paul? Well, funny you should ask that, because I went to see Saltburn. Ooh, Ooh. so did I. Yes, uh, we have not shared each other's opinions of it. Last time mm. I asked you, you were like, I'm not sure what I thought about it. So are you sure what you think about it now? Well, I'll, I'll, what happened was I went to see Napoleon, and I had got there quite early, and I don't normally do this, but I thought, you know what? I've got a, a cinema pass, uh, I, I should use it because I didn't use it in October. Uh, so I, I want to get my money's worth. And I went to see Saltburn the same day. Uh, and that was a weird juxtaposition, seeing those films back to back. Um, and I came out and I put it on my Instagram that I'd been to see. And I had three people comment. And two of those comments were thoughts, question mark. And I was like, I'm still processing it. <laughs> I've just, I've literally just come out of the cinema. Um, and I, I think I am still processing it, mm. even though that was some time ago. It is, it's very full on, isn't it, Paul? <laughs> it's very full on. There's a lot that happens in it. Mm. Some of it extreme perhaps or it feels like it's trying to be provocative at least exactly i think it's extreme for a multiplex audience and it's an extreme film to to have on at your Odeon, but yeah. I, it's not exactly it, you know it's not lars von trier is gasps. it like, i don't know i haven't watched no, any lars von trier have you not <laughs> no oh. um but i'll take your word for it but there were gasps wow well, there were gasps the there was this one moment towards yeah, the end i where think i know which moment you're talking about and someone just said S. <laughs> and, and it, it goes just, on for some time. Yeah, really. yeah. And I, if it's but, the moment I'm thinking. Oh no, of. it's a oh, it's a shot. It was one shot. Um, yeah, it goes that, on for a while. Yeah, yeah, I know yeah. exactly which which yeah, moment yeah. you're talking about. But it definitely it seemed like diet yeah. diet provocation in lots of way. And that if you're if you're into your extreme cinema, then it's quite a tame I mean, yeah, film. It's not but, extreme cinema, but yeah. it's it's out there. I you know what I think? I think it's very trashy, but mm. in a kind of very high end way. It's gloriously yeah. trashy. And I think if you go in with that mind frame, you'll have a good time. Mm. It looks beautiful. Mm -hmm. um, got a lot of time for Barry Kean. 
um, great accents. Um, really? Even Barry I'm from Keen? Preston. Yeah, I wasn't uh, sure about... Liverpool, mate, from mm. Preston. And, uh, oh, mate, mate, uh, yeah, oh, what yeah. a faff. <laughs> uh, Jacob Lord is actually Australian, but he does an English accent in this. Yeah. And he, oh, it's it's not bad. We should probably mention it's a bit, um, it's <laughs> it's a bit of a faff, mate. Me, me. Yeah. So it's set at Oxford University in in two thousand and six, yeah. uh, I believe, and it's about Barry Keane and uh, Barry Keane going to Oxford and trying to become friends with um, with Jacob Lordy's character. Yeah, with a boy who lives in a mansion, basically. Yeah, and his father's Richard E. Grant, and his mother's Rosamund oh, Pike. God, Richard E. Richard Grant is amazing. He's, just, he's very good. Rosamund <laughs> Pike is so savage in this. Mm-hmm. Her her one liners are just brilliant. As it is peppered with these wonderful one liners. Like it really was good seeing this with an audience. Because they were uh, amongst the the one-liners and the the shocking scenes, like it, they were quite a vocal vocal audience. So it's, it's yeah, really definitely. it's really nice when that happens when you go see a film and like you yeah. can just hear the reactions of people just go, "What is this? What's <laughs> what going we, on? What's happening?" But yeah, like, but do you really think Barry Keane's accent was? Or was that part of it? I don't mm. know. Because it's you know it's interesting. I don't want to give too much yeah, away. I don't think we should give anything no. of the plot away because it is. I don't know if it's that twisty turny to be honest. Oh, it is. Well, no, but it I'd, has. It sort of is. Yeah, I'd say. Um, it's, I I think you need to go into it blank. Yes, which I kind of did because I didn't even because we should mention it is um, a film by Emerald Fennell who directed yeah, Promising, Promising Young, Young Woman, Woman, which was I absolutely loved, but I didn't actually realise that until. Uh, after I'd seen it because I went in just knowing that there was some buzz about this film mm. and people had been moaning about it on Twitter or whatever and I was just like oh, I should probably go see this and yeah going into it blank is the best way because I think to be honest like even discussing what the film is about mm. is a spoiler to an, an extent yeah, definitely. So, so yeah I'd just try and not to hear anything about it yeah but, I think some people have complained about how it deals with class Mm. And, you know, Emerald Fennel is a little bit upper class herself. She's mm. a bit posh. And I think that's been a complaint for a lot of people. Um, I agree and I disagree. Um, but I can't explain why for spoiler reasons. Yeah, yeah. I won't get into it. But that is something that a lot of people didn't enjoy. Mm. Was was And they didn't feel like it had anything interesting to say about that topic or it didn't know what it wanted to say or what it wanted to say was out of date. Um, Mm. So pick one of those. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So that's a common sort of gripe about it. And I wouldn't disagree necessarily. But like I said, if you're going in for something that's kind of a bit trashy, a bit silly, but very well, she's got a good eye. Mm. She's got a very good eye. It's beautifully done. And I think it flows better than Promising Young Woman. Um. I wanted to really love Promising Young Woman. There's a lot going for it, but I, it didn't quite flow for me as a okay. film. Whereas I think this one um, does better in that department. I'm not saying it's a better film, but I think it just flows better, the that's, story. Uh, that's interesting, because I kind of felt the opposite, because I felt that Promising Young Woman was was quite perfectly constructed. Like, I really loved that film. Okay. Like, that's five-star business for me. Ooh. But this, for me, I felt like far too much of the story happened in the last act. There's mm. a lot that happens in the last act. There's some major beats there, and I think I would have preferred that to kind of been spread out a little bit more because it's just like, because you kind of think the film's kind of coming to a conclusion a bit, but then it's like, oh no, then we got all this stuff happening and I, I, it does feel like it's kind of rushing to just get all this story into the last act and I I don't know, I'm not saying I would have rather it had been a longer film, I just think some of the beats should have been maybe spread more evenly throughout the film because it's just, That's I don't fair. know, yeah, yeah. I, I think. And what a but, memorable 
final scene. Yes. <laughs> uh, again, no spoilers here, but we see a lot of Barry Keane in this film. We do. A whole lot. So um, I would recommend Saltburn very much, but also maybe not. <laughs> oh god it's another fall classic isn't it <laughs> no 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 I, I, go in watch it without knowing anything about it if possible and let us know what you think at pictureshow at bromradio.com but now that's enough of that that's enough Ridley that's enough Saltburn yeah. it's time to move on to the local news and events section with Nadine. Thank you, Paul. On the 5th of December, Community Cinema Journey Film Club will be showing Purple Rain at the Birmingham LGBT Centre. On the 7th of December, Boxer Short Films will be showing their festive-ish films at the Glasshouse Beer Company. And on the 15th of December, our rivals, Sturchley Open Cinema, will be showing Scrooged at Sturchley Baths. Mm. But if you want to support us instead over our rivals, then come and see us at the... Well, no, you can go and see both, uh, in all honesty. They're on different days. That helps. Uh, uh, 17th of December, we'll be showing uh, Home Alone and all proceeds from that screening will go to King's Heath food bank so why not watch a great film and help a good cause at the same time and that's at the station in King's Eath. and you can buy tickets to that at www.ticketsource/screen-b14 uh, on the 19th of December, Journey Film Club will be showing Love Actually again at the Birmingham LGBT Centre. And on the 21st of December, Sturchley Open Cinema, those again, will be showing Rare Exports at Brum Brewery. Mm. Um, so that's a little roundup of all the upcoming uh, local cinema news and well, events. Well, that's exciting stuff. And I'll be honest, I think that's all we've got time for this week. In fact, it's more than we've got time for, to be honest. <laughs> Just it was so full of Rid. We're going to have to do a Ridley episode mark two when Gladiator Two comes out, the sequel. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. When's that coming out? Oh, I don't know. It's not right. even finished filming yet, mate. Right, Next year. <laughs> but anyway, thank you very much for listening to the Brum Picture Show on Brum Radio. Do not forget to email us at pictureshow@brumradio.com and indeed follow us on letterboxd and you can follow us on the website formerly known as twitter at screenb14 and on insta and on facebook if you want to keep up with all our film events that's right and tune in next time for our anti-christmas special where we'll be talking about christmassy films that aren't that christmassy for yeah, people who hate Christmas. Yeah, mate, for all the Scrooges and yeah, Grinches out there. That's right. But for now, thanks for joining me and Nadine. And Thank you. Yeah, I hope, I hope you'll come back. Please do. Please do. Please do. Goodbye. Bye. Mm. You have been listening to The Brum Picture Show, a Screen B14 production for Brum Radio. Tune in next time for more film fun and don't forget to email us at pictureshow at brumradio.com Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Okay, well that was that was only two hours this time. That's quite... I'm blaming you. Quite brief. <laughs> As always. There you go. Oh my God.
I think if Rory had been there, we would have been looking for a three-hour recording. He might have kept us on track. Where does the time go? No, he wouldn't. (laughs) 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 He'd have just started talking about Scooby-Doo or something. Scoobs. 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 Thank you for listening to this Brum Radio podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and rate us on your podcast app.